Welcome to The Read Along. A mini book club for your ears. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at at a time. time. Do you like talking about movies? Do you like talking about mediocre movies? Do you like talking about how you could have fixed mediocre movies? Well, I certainly do, and you can listen to me, Scott C. Bourgeois, along with my co-hosts Greg Beaver and Liam Kreswick, as we give our notes, and I have some notes. You can follow it now on your podcatcher of choice, or support it by visiting patreon.com slash I have some notes. Air quality, big concern, all over. Has been lately. Yeah. A lot of Canada is on fire or has been burned this year. (laughs) Has recently been on fire. Uh, Yeah. Haven't been getting a lot of rain, been getting a lot of unseasonably warm temperatures. And I mean, I'm definitely not one of those people who subscribe to the conspiracy theory that there are a secret cabal of arsonists going around lighting fires all over. I do, however, believe that people are generally careless. Yes. And so I am willing to say that many of these fires are probably human-caused, but not maliciously human-caused. Rather, ignorantly human-caused. Ignorantly human-caused. People flicking cigarettes out of their window on the highway, uh, driving ATVs, uh, ignoring fire bans, just carelessness. that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's not to say that some of them aren't naturally caused. It takes one good lightning strike, right? When it's too dry out for... (laughs) <laughs> when it's too dry out. Yeah, when everything's tinder dry. Yeah. yeah. So that's the situation here. And it's made the air quality poor. And I know that uh, for many of our southern neighbors, they've started to experience that too because of prevailing winds. Because of weather. Yeah. But we've been dealing with that since May. And oh boy, are my allergies just not happy with it. I woke up this morning croaking like a frog and I was legitimately concerned like oh no we have to record a podcast later oh dear listeners you should have heard Scott Saturday night we were on a video call with some of our friends talking nerd stuff like we do and Scott sounded like he had just finished his third pack of the day like (laughs) oh you sounded so rough honey I mean I pretty much did just by being outside yeah yeah the air quality has not been great the past few days sometimes you can smell it right sometimes it's got that smoky smell and you're like oh stay inside yeah it had cleared up a little bit it kind of goes off and on depending on where the fires are and which way the wind is blowing but last couple days especially it's been noticeable again yeah not as bad as it was earlier in May certainly not as bad as it was in New York the last week where with the orange skies but woo. Uh, though we have had our fair share of orange skies. Yeah, but we're not New York. <laughs> yeah. Not a great time to have your spring allergies run up against just poor air quality. Oh, I know. It's but just a horrible soup of unpleasant. Indeed. But uh, my voice came back. Huzzah! <laughs> uh, at least adequately enough for uh, recording. And so here we are recording an app, which will begin with a brief recap of our previous chapter, in which... We learn a little bit more about Rosie, and we get a little bit more detail on the history of the Queen's detinctiving, <laughs> uh, and the legacy of assistant personal secretaries who've been Watsoning for her for many years, Yeah, uh, of which Rosie is just the latest version. And that leads us into Chapter 9 of The Winds Are Not by S.J. Bennett.
We begin with the queen who is delightfully credulous. <laughs> For someone who is asking her assistant personal secretary to go about doing some skullduggery, when Sir Simon is like, oh, Rosie has the day off because she needed to go and attend to her mother, the queen is just like, oh, that's a shame. And just buys it. Uh, like, <laughs> Doesn't even cross her mind that Rosie came up with an excuse I to go and question suspects. Super surprised that the queen <laughs> did not put two and two together herself. Like, she's supposed to be the detective here. Yeah, it was very funny. Right? And she's going about her queening, doing yeah. her queen-y things. And I mean, in fairness, she's preoccupied with the mystery. So this additional little note about Rosie, maybe she just doesn't have the capacity to like <laughs> unravel that right now. But I did find it very amusing that she was just like, oh, that's a shame. Well, I'm not going to get any answers today. Then. <laughs> yeah, she's a little put out by it, right? Like, oh, how inconvenient. Rosie's off. <laughs> what Rosie is off doing is, in fact, getting a burner phone from her cousin who thinks this is just delightful. He thinks it's very funny. And jokes like, are, are you dealing? And Rosie's like, yes, the queen has me dealing tea out the back door. Yes, pushing tea out the back of the castle. But she realizes that if she's going to be running around behind Sir Simon's back for her majesty, she needs to be able to make calls and communicate with people. And she can't do it on her official smartphone because that can be tracked. Uh, yes. So she very reasonably made the arrangement to get a burner phone in fact apparently this was something that she had discussed with eileen because back in the day when people didn't have you know a tracking device in their pocket people could easily just nip into another room in the palace yeah make a phone call make a phone call on the landline it's effectively untraceable yeah people might note oh a call was made over here but no one can find out who made the call. Could be anybody. Yeah. There's hundreds of people. Exactly. Nowadays, though, because Rosie's smartphone is registered and can be tracked yeah, and traced. There's yeah. GPS in it, for crying out loud. Yeah. So it's a very smart thing for her to do. Yes. And I appreciate that she got it from her cousin, because this is a wonderful twofold thing. She gets to have a coffee date with her cousin, who she doesn't get to see very often, who she's very close with. And she is not seen purchasing this burner phone. Yeah, although her cousin does joke like, if this turned up, like you went to me to get it. Like you made a call to me and then you got a burner phone. I mean, that's easily traceable. And she's like, it's not, this is my first time. <laughs> Give me a break. And I needed to rely on someone I could trust. Yes. And this is someone who is... Definitely in her immediate circle of mm -hmm. trust. This is a lovely little character bit for Rosie that I really, really like. We've gotten snippets of it up until now, mm -hmm. right? But now it's actually stated outright. And it's obvious that Rosie's family is really important to her. And pretty, her people matter to yeah, her. Yeah, and right? fairly tight-knit, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, we knew earlier she had flown to the Caribbean for a wedding. Yeah. For, like... A cousin. A cousin. And sure. that, that implied closeness. And here we're just getting it reinforced. This family unit's pretty tight. Yeah. So this is either going to lead one of two ways, I think. This is what I see. This is either going to be an exceptionally difficult thing for Rosie to do, juggling being with her family and working for the palace. And she's already expressed that it has been. Right? Yeah. Or this little tight-knit family she's got is going to become her network that she can lean on to help her solve this mystery. I think a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, honestly. I truly hope that her cousins become like her- Her, her Baker Street irregulars? Yes, exactly. Yeah. This tight network of people she can trust to help her solve this mystery, who can do some of the dirty work, quote unquote dirty work, 
right? To yeah. to help everybody. I think that would be cool. I also, I liked the little character beat where we find out that her sister recently took a job and moved to Germany. And Rosie is put out by it because she misses her sister. And they were also very close. They still are. Yeah. But at the same time, acknowledging that her new position with the queen means she can't spend as much time with her family. And it's this wonderful little dichotomy of like, I want my family to be there for me, even though I can't be there for my family as much because of the position I've taken. Yeah, exactly. It's, but it, it's, it's the wonderful contradiction that's baked into a good human character. Yes. And I appreciated that. And I mean, she's not trying to be selfish about it. She's supportive of her sister. Of course. She's just, she just sad. misses her yeah. because she's <laughs> off in Germany. Yeah. She's just sad that she's working a lot, so she doesn't get to see her family. And of course now her family, as they're all being grownups, yeah. have jobs. And sometimes your jobs take you away, right? Yeah. So her sister is now further away. Eh. It happens and it kind of sucks. Yeah. So she's got this, this burner phone now, mm-hmm. right? She's also got, and I'm very proud of her, an old-fashioned, unhackable paper notebook. Yeah. Yeah. She made the very correct decision to take her notes down analog style because that way it can't be... Hacked? Or traced or turned up on a database. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one can break into her phone and, like, steal the data off of it, right? Yeah. She's got a good old-fashioned notebook <laughs> with a pencil. That a girl. And she takes that notebook to make some rounds asking some questions of some of the guests who were in attendance the night of the dine and sleep. She starts up in the afternoon with um, a conversation with a young man, which we don't get, so obviously not terribly important. But her day then takes her to finally meet up with one of our prime suspects, Meredith Gastelow. And the first thing we discover about Meredith is that we were wrong in one of our assumptions. Yes! We assumed Meredith was the actress who the Queen remembers being in attendance, who had some Russian descent. We were way off base there. She's actually the British architect. Yeah! Who has been working on something in St. Petersburg. Yes! Which he brings up in this chapter Mm -hmm. as well, briefly. And Rosie gets kind of ushered in and goes through this really like lackluster kitchen gets offered some tea and then gets taken into this entertaining space and is like oh yes you're a very good architect (laughs) oh you're an amazing architect oh i want to talk about meredith forever i want to be meredith when i grow up i love her so much i love her so much i adore her character she's so much fun and i absolutely relate to her story in the getting swept up in the, like, the moment. We should talk about her story first before I explain it. I don't want to spoil anything. So Meredith first kind of probes and tries to find out who Rosie is working for. She's like, are you working for MI5? Are you with the police? And Rosie's like, I work for the Queen. The Queen wanted to ask some questions. Because in her mind, she's like, I need to come up with uh, an excuse. But there's no clever excuse here. It's just, I just work for the Queen. But thankfully... The knowledge that she's working directly for the queen works in her favor here. Yes. Because Meredith maybe gives up a little more than she would be willing to to the authorities. Which she has given up to the authorities. Uh, because she's speaking to a representative of her majesty and there's a little bit of magic involved with that. Yeah. And she basically kind of lays out what happened the night of. She was the woman who had the scintillating dance with Brodsky. And she talks about, like, she has a history as a dancer. She wanted to be a dancer, but unfortunately, it didn't 
pan out because she became voluptuous and full-figured, and that doesn't really jive well with being a ballerina. No. Um, but she still has a passion for dance, even though she doesn't do it much anymore. And she admits to being quite good at it. And well, She's not even shy about admitting she's no, quite good at it. No, I love it. And she relates that the night of the dine and sleep, she had seen Brodsky dancing with some of the ballerinas, and Brodsky, like, made eye contact with her and, like, clocked her as you want to dance. And she kind of was like, eh, no, she demurred a bit, but finally... She, she did the polite, like, yeah. no, 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 I I am too old for this. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, she's a woman in her 50s, Brodsky is a man in his 20s. She felt weird about it, but he finally kind of coaxed her into it, and they had a dynamite dance. Chemistry through the roof. They had a tango. Yeah, and it's the kind of, like, heated, passionate dance where she's like, you know that... The, you're sending signals to each other that you don't want the night to end, mm-hmm. that you want the physical closeness to continue if you catch my drift. <laughs> Again, the age gap made her feel weird about it, but apparently Brodsky was just like, oh, he, let's do this. He did not care. And she was like so swept up in the moment and in having been invited to this event that she was like, I want to do this. I want to feel like a teenager again, basically. Like, do the stupid thing that you shouldn't do because it's saucy, you know? Well, and she's in a very unique place right now. Yeah. in And I mean that in every possible definition of the word place. She's at Windsor Palace. Yeah. She's dancing with a young pianist who's very handsome and a very talented dancer. She's having this magical evening. Yeah, it's like Masha mentioned in the very first chapter where she talks about how it was all very like Disney. It's very fairy tale. Yeah, a very fairy tale moment. And that's kind of what Meredith is expressing here too. She was living the fantasy for a night. Yeah. And so she invited Brodsky back to her room. Her room specifically because she was a guest and he was set up in the he servants' was quarters. Technically staff for yeah. the evening. Apparently he did turn up. He had changed clothes, which might be an important clue. Maybe. Don't know. Don't know. He brought a bottle of champagne. They continued their tango for a while into the night. <laughs> And then he received a textual message at some point. His phone pinged. He took a look, said he regretfully had to go and like gave her a wink and was like, don't tell anybody. But she was like, it was very clear to me in that playful way where it was like, it was just our little secret. This will just be our secret. Yeah. And then he was gone. And that was the last she'd ever seen of him because he was dead the next time she heard about him. Unfortunately. She does. Actually, she prefaces this story by insisting she did not murder the man. Oh, no, she definitely did not. But this appears to be the thing that she was um, embarrassed about the next day when she returned home. Yeah. The, like, really saucy dance in front of a whole bunch of august guests and then, like, sneaking off to have a little sexy time with Brodsky, kind of under the nose of everybody. I get it. I get that shame because the next day reality kicks back in. Yeah. Right? Suddenly she shelled out, I don't know how much, to take a cab from Windsor Castle. Yeah. Right? She realizes she's done this thing in front of everybody, and she has slept with this random man. And she's, and very, she's feeling very scandalized by yes, it. Yes, she's being very scandalized by it, which I get. I understand it. Makes sense. Yeah, and she, she actually says, like, she doesn't regret it, necessarily. But Well, I don't think she regrets it anymore. Yeah. Like, after talking to Rosie about it, and sort of... uh in, in talking to Rosie about it, reliving that evening in part. Yeah, she kind of makes peace with it. She does. Chapter. Yeah. I, she comes to term with it and just accepts it. You know what? This was an amazing night that happened to me. 
and I'm just going to hold on to that. Yeah. It was awesome. It happened. I will cherish it. Unfortunately, something terrible happened afterwards. Yeah. But I don't believe she was part of that. No. She even says, like, she's under no illusion that this was the beginning of some beautiful romance with Brodsky. She recognized immediately that it was just a one night thing. Yeah, this was one evening. Yeah, but she was like, but uh, like, I liked him and I get the impression that he liked me and it could have turned into like a friendship or something. Yeah. And she's a little regretful in that way that he died. Yeah, I appreciated that, that she came to terms with it because it, it was like polishing up her self-confidence. I agree with you because we we got in her head in that uh, earlier chapter. You could tell that she's a woman who's having difficulty coming to grips with her age. Yeah. And so, yeah, this was this was definitely a win for Meredith Gastelow. Yeah, 100%. And, and a win that she probably needed at yeah. this point in her life. Yep. And it's it's a shame that it ended the way it did. Well, you look back at when we first met her in that little blurb in that chapter earlier mm-hmm. on, and you can tell she is older than she feels. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like she's dragging that with her. And, right? she, and for one night with Brodsky, she got to feel like a young woman again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because she's not actually done yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she's not resigned to being this dour old lady. So having this wonderful night of excitement and passion and was good for her, even if it took her a little while to realize it. Yeah. So a couple facts that I, I feel like we should just like bullet point. Oh, yes. Some some important mystery details. Number one, Brodsky didn't go with her immediately to her room. No. He, she went ahead of him. He showed up a little while later. And again, he had enough time to change clothes and get a bottle of champagne. It was, it was either half an hour or an hour later. He was called away after an hour or two. She wasn't paying attention to the time. And so she doesn't know exactly the timeline of events there. Right. We do know that he was caught early in the morning in a place he shouldn't have been. Right. The question is, was that before he had gone to Meredith or after he had gone to Meredith? I don't know. Because she doesn't know exactly what time it was. So I don't know if he was coming or going when he was caught outside. Yeah. Right? My guess would be afterwards, but... Uh, That's also my guess, but we don't know for sure. But I thought those were salient points. Because Meredith has information here, even if she's not necessarily the killer. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is her story. Her side of it, yeah. Yeah. But she does come across as earnest. And Rosie certainly feels like she's coming across as earnest here. Oh, yeah. I believe her 100%. Yeah. Rosie's got a good sense for Meredith here. Rosie does, after this, kind of take her leave. And Meredith is like, are you going to have to tell the queen about this? And Rosie's like, well, I'll try to keep it PG. Right? She's like, I'll be very nice about it. And and Meredith is like, no, you know what? Tell her everything. Do me justice. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's the spark that I aspire to have when I grow up. The whole, oh, no. It was super saucy. Tell the queen everything. Make me sound good. I love it. I love her so much. Yeah, and that's pretty much where the chapter ends. Yeah. I think our best lead is for Rosie to try and figure out who phoned him. Yes. I think that's our next... Or rather, who texted him. Sorry, who texted him. Who got a hold of Brodsky in the middle of the night that drew him away from Meredith? I think that's our next like Ooh. solid lead. There's other one other piece of information that actually might be salient. Oh, what's that? That I forgot. When Brodsky and Meredith 
first kind of like broached the subject of maybe trying to find a time to sneak off, Brodsky went to Masha and spoke with her. Right. And Masha was the one who maybe like made some excuses for him. So, uh, but we already knew that Masha and Brodsky were friends. Acquainted somehow, yes. Yeah, so this tracks to me, but that means Masha was also aware of this hookup. Right. And that could be important later. We don't know. Yeah, it may be. She, she was also a party to this little affair. This little twist. Indeed, so. I, I can construct, I'm not going to go into the accusing parlor just yet, but I mm-hmm. can construct an idea... Maybe if Yuri knew that Brodsky was sleeping with someone and if he assumed that it was his wife, Masha, instead of the actual person it was, Meredith, then Yuri would have extra reason to be jealous. Yeah, my brain also went in that direction. Right, it does kind of point a finger at Yuri. If Yuri saw Brodsky and Masha making some sort of secret plan. Yeah. And and then then they both left at around the same time even though Brodsky was actually going to meet up with Meredith. Yeah, if Brodsky was wanting in one direction and Masha was going in the other, if Yuri didn't know that... He might have put two and two together incorrectly. Right. And done something rash out of jealousy. Possibly. Yeah. That's just me constructing things. I have absolutely no evidence to it at all. That's just me making up a story. But... That my brain also went to that. Right, because it, it does could be track. an unfortunate case of mistaken identity. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see where this goes. Well, um, that's kind of all of the main information from this chapter. A lot to digest and think about. Some, I feel, possibly important clues. Yes. Very and, important clues. And I we think. may be able to tentatively at least pencil Meredith out of the suspect list. I think so. Unless yeah. we get more information about her. Yeah. But something tells me she's played her part. I also suspect that might be the case, but who knows? Who knows? I've been wrong many, many times before. Indeed. So we'll uh, wrap up there and hope that we maybe get a little bit more information as we move into chapter 10 of our novel, which you'll want to read up on in time for next week. In the meantime, as always, you can give our podcast a little rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. We appreciate your love. It helps us out, definitely. You can also reach out to us on the social medias. Yeah, we currently we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of them to make us easy to find. You can also send us an email. For sure. We are thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Drive safe, everybody. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. Thank you.